Hello, hello, hello. Hi, guys. Hey, guys. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're doing that now. I just, I just learned that. I just learned that reference. Oh, hi, Mark. Welcome back to Couple Goals with Mark. <laughs> hi, listener. How are you? Calling everybody Bozo now. <laughs> uh, What's up? Yeah. Well, right, what you doing? What you up to? What's going on? train of thought. Look who just came out of the blanket. It's Crowley. So when you hear the licking, it's not me. It's Crowley. <laughs> so, hey, I got a new story. You have a new story? I have a new story. I, I don't. All right. This one comes via the Daily Mail, UK Oh, that's news always... Outlet. Those are always outrageous. So I think I think but. my my Apple News app is kind of learning what I'll actually click on. It has a lot of weird shit. Well, weird to me shit that I never click on. A lot of BuzzFeed stuff. Look at how Kim Kardashian's face has changed. Like, I don't fucking care. My face has changed, too. It's fatter. Everybody changes. The BuzzFeed articles are the fucking worst. I mean, worst. Kim Kardashian pays to make her face change, but yeah. But they seem to notice I click on the more outrageous headlines. Uh, a lot of times having to do with uh, some type of damage to someone's penis, apparently. Is he humping your arm right now? Yes. Jesus Christ, Crowley. No. I put a blanket Crowley. on him to no. calm him down. Lay down. No humping. Stop it. This is, like, this is, episode's off to a great start. Yeah, put that away. That's Couple right. goals. Couple goals with Crowley, Sean, and Maggie. So here, here's the headline. Billionaire diamond trader 65 dies during penis enlargement surgery at private Paris clinic. See, here's the problem. <laughs> Is our problem already? Keep clicking on the dick related. I stuff. do. I do. I think <laughs> it's the damaged penises that I'm always like, oh, what, what happened? <laughs> You're like, tell me more. Penis rot. What is that? That sounds awful. Oh, my God. Stop. What's well, like that Saturday Night Live sketch, though, where he, where he has. He asked Pete Davidson, what's your what's your biggest fear? He's like, dick falls off. <laughs> <laughs> it just ties into that. I guess how uh, women go right for the murder crime stuff. Dudes are I'm just like, oh, my God, what happened to the penis, though? That's always that's my biggest fear. Can't can't, can't live even, without it. Like, that's why that I can't watch even, that Lorena Bobbitt thing. I don't want to I don't want to watch even, that. Like number among my fears, like things. It's because it's not related. really a protrusion for you. Although I will say this. Like it can catch on things, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. If I lay the pot on do something, do you remember when one of our children? And I'm not going to say which one. Oh my god! When the when oh he was god. a when he was a toddler, oh and had just you know was starting to, to. And the toilet seat fell on his penis. Yes. Oh. Oh god. Oh. And, okay, but I will say this about women. Did you know that? When you have a hysterectomy, and I learned this from my lady doctor, that when you've had a hysterectomy, actually I learned this from my urologist, so not my lady doctor. When when you've had a hysterectomy, they he won't stop humping me. Crowley, no, knock it off. I'm so sexy. <laughs> I guess sexy. that's one way to look at it. I'm so sexy to dogs. <laughs> I'm a sexy bitch. Get it? You are so anyway, a sexy bitch. So. The reason that they've stopped giving voluntary hysterectomies yeah. is because your like uterus and your bladder are really close. And if they take out your uterus, your bladder will fall out like your vagina hole. Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
Whew. And it's like your it's like bladder protrusion. Like it'll st- like you'll be walking and like your uterus or I'm sorry, your bladder will come out your <coughs> vagina. Like not your urethra, which is next to your vagina, but like your actual vagina, your bladder will fall out because so I ma- imagine you, like through you're your just cervix. walking around and you're like, oh, I'm feeling heavy down there. And Maybe you I'm going like, to start and then you go check and then you're like start because you don't have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess that would be. You don't have a uterus. parcel with not having a uterus. You don't have a uterus. So I feel no like lining. I'm going to start, but right. I shouldn't be starting anything. Right. There's nothing for me to there start. There still might be like symptoms and stuff like that. Who knows what the happens after you have a hysterectomy? There might well, be. and that's that was the thing with like I have a like friend. A phantom who's limb had, kind I of had thing. a friend who had a hysterectomy, but she doesn't have. So she doesn't have. But she still has like the symptoms of it, but she still has, yeah. her, she still has her uterus, but she doesn't have like, so she'll, she'll still have hit symptoms. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's like part of it is the reason that they stopped voluntary. My, literally my urologist told me that. Yeah. Because that sounds like kind of made up, but she was like, do you still have your, you know, do you still have your, your uterus and ovaries? And I was like, unfortunately, ha, 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 you know? Yeah. And she was like, oh, yeah, they don't do that. Like, you can't ask to have them removed anymore because your bladder will fall out. And I was like, I'm sorry. I need to know more on this topic. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's Things like a you thing. you never think about. That reminds well, me of that. Well, they make meshes. Like, they'll put a mesh in because you can still, even if you still have everything... You can still have a bladder prolapse where your bladder will start to sink next to your vagina. Hmm. Yeah. That's probably bad. I'm guessing that's bad, right? That's very bad. Yeah. And they put like a mesh in to like hold your bladder in place. And you'll like, you'll just piss at random if you, if that happens. That reminds me for some reason, that reminds me of that Chuck, Chuck Polinick book where he would, he had that story. Maybe it was just a short story he had. Where he would sit on in in his swimming pool, he'd put it like his butthole oh, on like the suction part yeah, of the swimming pool, and it sucked out his anus one day. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's that's the one where they're all stuck in the same like they're stuck together somewhere. Okay, it's, I don't remember which one it was. It's but like that's what a, it it's like a bottle episode. Uh, that's they're all like it's a, it's a, I read that book too. Yeah, but that I don't I don't think that's a true. No, no, but that's what it reminds me of. It's not it's not true. It's just, yeah, he like went on the thing. That sounded really horrifying though. <laughs> just getting yeah. your anus stuck, like just get sucked out of your butt. No, I meant for that character. I don't think that actually happened to that character. But that's right. The... But yeah. All right. Anyway, back to my story too. here. Um, yeah. Anyway, back to your like billionaire who billionaire fucking... diamond trader has died after suffering a heart attack during oh. a penis enlargement operation in Paris, and I am. Gonna, as always, as is on brand for us, I'm gonna butcher this name. <laughs> Ehud Ari Laniato, 65. He was at an unidentified private clinic on the Avenue de Champ Elysees. I don't know if that's how you say that either. In the French capital on Saturday, when complications during surgery proved fatal. The ah, this part. The experienced diamond expert's heart attack happened when a substance was injected into his penis, Belgian media reported. We have a Belgian following, too, which is weird. It's like two people, but we get downloads in Belgium. I hope one's that reporter. Mr. Laniato's company, Omega Diamonds, which is based in the Belgian city of Antwerp, uh, confirmed his passing. Oh, he's a Belgian trader. Oh, I must have missed that part. Uh... 
Well, that's that's where his company was based. Yeah, he was. He's a diamond he, trader out of Belgium. Yeah. Uh, a friend of his who wished to remain anonymous said he has always focused on his appearance and how others perceived him. Well, who's who's looking at his dick? Uh. Well, he's a billionaire, so I'm guessing a lot of people. <laughs> True. <laughs> That's how that works. Hey, remember when said Jeff Bezos was like, "Yeah, yeah, no, I there's there's nudie pics of me." Like, and he just took away all the power from yeah, the whole. That's that's, that's how you do it. Fucking awesome. He's yeah. like, yeah, 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 no, that's the thing that's out there. That's like, you know what? You are fucking. You're badass, dude. Apparently, that's, he was. He was a short guy because, according to his friends, the only time he forgot about his lack of height was when he asked his accountant to read out his bank statement, something which he did multiple times a day. He, sound, he sounds great. <laughs> yeah. You got to love people that are that hung up on their physical appearance. So he was Dude, like, if I was hung up on physical appearance, I would have killed myself years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I would have just been like, there's no helping me. <laughs> I don't got the money. No. Jesus Christ. I don't like it when he talks like that because I'm attracted to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's always weirded me out. <laughs> what's was, was that, that uh, Groucho Marx thing? He's like, I don't want to be a part of any club that would let me in as a member or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Dick. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, why, that's what we're talking about. That's why, yeah, that's why you're that's here. On, that's on, that's on, oh, ew. That's what you're here for. <laughs> Gross. Yeah, but that's my that's my little news story. So what? Let's do some housekeeping. Housekeeping. I've got to make a soundbite. Everybody that. know about all the places they can find us and support us. The internet. The internet. You can find us on the internet under it's, Couple Goals with S and M, Couple Goals Podcast, there. Instagram, Facebook. Join the listener group if you want to join in the conversation. We have a Patreon. Although recently, where you can all the us. listener groups. You could still find our listener groups. See, here's what's happening on the internet. All the big listener groups are falling. My favorite murders listener group has closed, and that's why we drinks listener group has closed. Why? All the, because of racists. So. Oh, because the internet happens. Yeah. <laughs> because, because when something gets big. Because people why show do, up and they're like, "Oh, everybody's stupid, but me is because you're a different ethnicity or whatever." And like people show what up. What is the deal with racists that they have to come? It's and, not always racist. A lot no. of times, it's just general insensitivity. And like, and then people are like, we can't have that here. We're very sensitive and very, we're very forward thinking. So we can't have that. And like. <laughs> You're offending everyone with your accent right now. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> You're offending people who, who do impressions for a living. <laughs> you, yeah, just everyone. Uh, I'm doing improv. You're supposed to say yes and. Yes. Yes, and stop that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you're offensive. We just yes, and I don't know what that accent is. <laughs> yes, and we're shutting down the listeners group. <laughs> uh, I'm, like, I'm like, stop it, Oprah. <laughs> the 30 Rock reference. If you don't get it, get out of our listeners group. So, <laughs> so you're, you're you're very insensitive. <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you like what I'm spewing, the listener group is for you. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, so the listener groups have been shut yeah, down. Yeah, we don't have to worry right. about that yet. We have 25 people in our listeners group. Right. And we know more than 25 people are listening because we see our numbers. We're right. on to you. No, you're but out also, there. And also, we we really appreciate it, even though it weirds us out, to be honest. Yeah. People, <laughs> it's like, why, why like, are you listening to us? <laughs> and then people we don't know, like, share our shit. Make better use like, of your are time. You? <laughs> Good Lord. No, 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 don't. <laughs> 
don't don't do that. Just do stay that. subscribed and keep downloading. But uh, no, you're probably doing stuff. Like they're oh, probably, yeah, I'm sure they're, they're probably work. not sitting at their desk, like staring into nothingness right, they're and driving listening to us. And, and working. And, yeah. And typing and putting nobody's, chips on shelves and things like gonna, that. <laughs> that was a shout out for Steve, friend of the show, who puts chips on shelves for a living. I mean, that's not all he does, but that's a job. I don't know why that was necessary. <laughs> that's because it's a job. That's like, that's a, that's a, how do you think they get there? Someone's got to put them there. Right. So housekeeping you can find us on the internet um when this episode comes out sean's second podcast is out so this isn't really housekeeping it's a special announcement time special announcement i have a second podcast that is just very strictly nerd focused uh me and my friend john who goes by knobs because of his last name it's called sean knobs and boomsticks and it's we we talk about a movie every week not necessarily a new movie usually it's an old movie uh we focus on movies games and comic books and we argue a lot and it's it's a good time so if you like sean's segment of the show this podcast is for you yeah and uh, i think you'll you'll like knobs as well who's also a listener hi knobs and you'll like their cover art which is by me Yes, Maggie is uh, the producer of this show because she has all the technical know-how and the artistic skills that we lack. So without her, there would not be a second podcast. I guess, technically. Yeah. Oh, technically, get it? That was kind of <laughs> like a pun, I guess. I guess. It was wordplay of some yeah, sort. Yeah, Sean Knobs and Boomsticks. I'll be promoting it on Facebook and Instagram and stuff. Yeah, so by the time you're listening to this, it's out. You can actually really only find it It'll on only be on Anchor. Anchor. Because it goes through a process. If you remember from the early days of our podcast, which yeah, we was a year ago, we it takes a everywhere. while to get everywhere. Yeah. So it's brand spanking new. There will be like four or five episodes out by the time you hear this episode. Yeah. So you'll have a couple hours, about a couple hours, I mean, like a whole afternoon is worth. Yeah, our, our episodes tend to run over an hour. Yeah, there's... Their shit, it'll be like your whole day. They'll have a day's worth of listening. They're long. And they have incredibly great, fantastic theme music. Like, I love their music, so. Yeah. It's some good shit. Give that a listen. Um, You want to go first? Yeah, I'm very excited. So I, I've been threatening, I should say promising, but I feel like I've been threatening to do I feel like it's been threatening. a super deep dive on the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and, and it's time I started. So this will be a 13-part series i believe you <laughs> no it's not gonna be 13 parts uh but the, yeah this this is the first part of my deep dive on the ninja turtles uh most of this information is sourced from a book called the uh, uh teenage mutant ninja turtles the ultimate visual history and some which of which translates great into podcasting ultimate visual history <laughs> well that's just the, that's the name of the book that's what it's called that's where a lot of this information is from also there's a great documentary you can watch and then but by promoting this documentary you don't have to listen to me talk about the ninja turtles but uh it's called turtle power and it's actually i think that's the name of it i forgot the name of it. but it's available on, on streaming websites uh like voodoo and amazon you can buy it or rent it and it's uh another it's a documentary about the the making the creation of the ninja turtles yeah but we're free unless we're you're free. a patreon well, yeah. No, you, you should check it out, though. It's really good. I've watched it a few times. Yeah. 
He sure shit has. All right, so the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were created by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Kevin Eastman grew up just outside of Portland, Maine. He ran a paper route and spent his money on comic books with titles such as Sergeant Rock, Weird War Tales, and his favorite was a book by Jack Kirby called uh, Kamandi, The Last Boy on Earth, which was kind of similar really to... really made up. So, yeah, they're comics. Uh, <laughs> they're very made up. <laughs> 100% made up, manufactured. Uh, I meant like commenting. Every aspect. Like, but uh, it, that was kind of ba- uh, similar to Planet of the Apes from what I understand. And Jack Kirby, in case you don't know, is a uh, super well-known comic book artist, also co-creator of Captain America, The Incredible Hulk, Black Panther, Ant-Man, a bunch of other characters, and just a, a very well-known, renowned comic book artist that almost every comic book artist I've ever read about uh, references him as an influencer at some point. So anyway, about 200 miles away in Massachusetts... You notice how I said that? Massachusetts? <laughs> I have a friend who can't say. Just put it right say, out there. I have a friend who can't say Massachusetts. I'm very proud of that now. I didn't used to be, <laughs> but now I'm very proud of my ability to say Massachusetts. If you are southern, from southern Ohio, or southern Ohio, southern United States, try to say Massachusetts and see if you can do it. <laughs> Man. I I have a prejudice against Southerners having lived in the South. And that that even even that that sounded terrible. Oh, <laughs> listen, you dumb it? hicks! Can no. you say Massachusetts even? I didn't say <laughs> the that. The fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> no, I'm doing I'm doing the sensitive person role. That's how everybody reacts to everything. They find a way to take offense. Listen, motherfucker! I did not say that. <laughs> No, she she's Southern and she said that she thinks she's too. That's what she said. Literally. <laughs> All right. She anyway, told me she was too Southern to say Massachusetts. That's what she told me. All right. So about 200 miles away in Massachusetts lived Peter Laird, who was also a huge fan of Jack Kirby. In 1981, uh, Kevin Eastman had a summer job that was tied to the lobster season there in Maine. When the season was, was over, he would move elsewhere in search of work. In fall of 1981, he went to Amherst, Massachusetts to visit his girlfriend at the University of Massachusetts. I'm so self-aware when I say Massachusetts <laughs> now because of this. Thanks, Madeline. Uh, he worked at a local supermarket, and while riding the bus home one day, he found a copy of a free comic magazine someone had left behind that was called Scat, the Valley Comics. And this featured artwork from local artists. The cover of this issue happened to be drawn by one Peter Laird. Massachusetts. <laughs> uh, that's gotta be the title now it's gonna be massachusetts that's the title of this episode madeline in massachusetts <laughs> madeline goes to massachusetts <laughs> uh, all right so so peter's art style immediately appealed to eastman and when he found out that uh this was published locally eastman put a portfolio together and went to the office to try to get a job He was introduced to Laird, and after a short time, they became friends due to their similar artistic sensibilities and their love of Jack Kirby. (coughs) Oh, same. Sorry. Same. We're like soulmates. (laughs) All right, now we're going to fast forward to 1983. Peter and his future wife invite Kevin Eastman to move in with them to work together on their own self-published comics. Absolutely not. (laughs) <laughs> just so you know if you meet somebody who you're like this might be somebody i could partner up with i'd be like okay good they should live somewhere else but in light of this story don't you think that's terrible 
to not let that happen? What if this person we let move in leads to us becoming multimillionaires just because I get to work with with this guy? I no. <laughs> just we'll turn it down. It out. <laughs> we'll figure out something else. I don't I don't want some like grown man roommate. <laughs> like that's not I, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure out something else. <laughs> All right. So they invite Eastman to move in with them and to work together on their their comics. Their first creation together was an alien robot named Fugitoid. And they published they self published this in uh, what they called Gobbledygook, which was the first book to come out under the Mirage Studios imprint. Uh, and they had created this and, and named it Mirage Studios due to the fact that there was no actual studio. It was just Peter's apartment. And they thought it was just kind of clever. I like it. Yeah. So like most self, self-published comics at the time, they made copies at a local copy shop and hand stapled each issue together. Remember copy shops? Yeah. Like legitimate <laughs> copy shops, oh, yeah. not those little pop-ups? Yep. They made 150 copies of the first issue. And they made a second issue with another uh, 150 issues. Uh, that was the last issue of Gobbledygook. The third comic they ended up publishing was called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So in Heroes no- in a half shell. <laughs> in November of 1983, uh, the pair were working together on the next chapter of Fugitoid in Peter's living room when Eastman drew a turtle wearing a mask with nunchucks strapped to his arms. He showed it to Peter and they had a good laugh. Peter then drew his take on this Ninja Turtle. Eastman said it looked cooler, so of course he had to top it. He then drew four Ninja Turtles with different weapons, standing in a very dramatic pose. Peter then inked it. Uh, inking, do you know what inking is in comics? I would assume it's putting ink to the drawing. Yeah, but I mean, it's for, uh, it has a lot to do with the actual, uh, I don't know, it can change the whole tone of a drawing. You know, it's different. Like you make a drawing, but then when it's inked, you know, you, you can add all kinds of depth and texture to it. Basically, a lot of people, there's a whole bit like on that, this in Chasing Amy. It's like that whole it's like that whole thing where when you made me read that one comic you made me read. Yeah. And. Um, yes. Commissioner Gordon is inked to look like his dick is out but it's not <laughs> i don't think i think that's what you took away from it yeah a little bit of that's a rorschach I, test for you there that's what i took away from it no but uh in chasing amy there's a whole thing about it where ben affleck and jason lee i don't like chasing amy maybe that's what i, I hate i don't care i'm still trying to tell you something uh jason lee and ben affleck's characters are comic book artists and <laughs> jason lee is the inker and he gets in this big argument at an autograph session because this guy's like, you just trace things. You're just a tracer. So you trace it. And like it it starts this whole big fight thing. But obviously there's there's a lot more to inking than, than just tracing. So that's, okay. that's well, that's, I don't like Ben Affleck. Or <laughs> it has nothing. OK, <laughs> that's so, fine. It's so weird. The things you don't like. That's not a great connection point for me. You don't remember that scene, though? It's a great scene. I don't like that movie. As a comic book nerd, it was a great scene. Oh, my God. Oh, never mind. Never mind. Oh, okay. I forgot we're doing a spoiler cast. We are doing a spoiler cast after this for... Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. All right, so Peter inked it, added the Teenage Mutant part to the original Ninja Turtle designation. They thought it was very silly at first, but as they finished their Fugitoid story, they decided to make it their next comic. They drew inspiration from Frank Miller's samurai book Ronin, as well as his work on Marvel's Daredevil. A lot of you know Frank Miller from the Sin City movies, but he he worked in comics for many, many years. Uh, mm-hmm. 300 is another movie that's based directly on his comics. Which appears to be based in history. 
Yes. Or the Battle of Thermopolis. <laughs> Which you did not know. Thermopylae. Thermopylae. No S. Yes. Uh, for instance, the character Splinter was a nod to Daredevil Sensei, uh, whose name was Stick, and <laughs> their enemies were called the Foot in reference to the, the villainous ninja clan, the Hand, also from Daredevil. Also, the art style, very similar to Frank Miller back in the day. So they wanted to use Japanese names for their characters, but they couldn't think of anything that felt authentic enough. And then obviously the Internet didn't exist at the time. So right. a little it's bit, a little hard. Yeah. What are you going to do? Go to the library and look it up in books? <laughs> they could do that. Right. A instead, they used Peter's copy of a book called Jansen's History of Art for inspiration and named them after their four favorite Renaissance artists. And obviously gave that origin to Splinter. <laughs> In the, in the comics. Right. All right. So they decided to self-publish this book as well as they had shopped Fugitoid around to different publishers and had only been met with rejection. So they got a quote for the cost of actually uh, of uh, uh, printing it and publishing it instead of doing stapled copies. Right. So they got a quote for uh, 3,000 copies. How much would it cost? So they were able to come up with about $750 between the two of them. And they were about $1,300 short. Oof. They were desperate to get this published, however, and they approached Eastman's Uncle Quentin for a loan, which he gave them interest-free. Nice guy. They were now able to publish their first official comic book and had enough money to take out an ad in the Comics Buyer's Guide, which was a publication that pre preceded Wizard. Wizard was like the big magazine in the 90s, but Comics Buyer's Guide was pretty much the only comic book magazine, and it also had values listed in the back and everything, too. Values? Yeah, like, because comics go up and down in value. Oh, yeah. right. Pre-internet. Yes. Got it. Uh, Peter visited the Dover Public Library. Oh, you see, they do go to the library. <laughs> but yet they used a book that they already owned to name the, Nerd yes. the Turtles. They went to the Dover Public Library and found a book that listed the major media outlets of the Northeast region, uh, TV, radio, newspapers, and magazines. They sent a cover letter and two pages of artwork from their first issue to 200 different outlets. A writer from United Press International was intrigued by the title and sent a photographer to their house. They got coverage in local newspapers and on the local PBS affiliate. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Sorry. The first issue debuted on May 5th of 1984 at a local mini comic convention for $1.50 an issue. After the convention, they had to figure out how to sell the rest of their 3,000 issue print run. They sold about 100 to 150 copies at the convention. They got in touch with a direct market comic distributor to sell the rest so they could get to comic book shops, which is the only place that would right. they'd be able to, you that know, you're not going to see on. The, these on a spinner rack at your drugstore at the time. The press outlet coverage and the uniqueness of the title helped them sell the rest in about a month. And comic shops were already starting to market up due to its rarity. So they're already, even though... It was a fresh run. They were already marking up the... They're like... Selling at a premium. Yeah. They're like, you can only get so many. So the response was overwhelming. So they were able to do a second print run. This time they did 6,000 copies, which sold out immediately. Uh, by this time, it was summer, and Eastman was back in Maine cooking lobsters. Uh, but they were getting calls about doing a third issue, or a third pressing, as well as a second issue. And they thought that was crazy because they... they thought they wouldn't even have trouble selling through their first print run. Right. Uh, so after cooking lobsters all summer, Eastman and Laird started sketching ideas for the issue number two. Pre-orders were at 15,000 copies at this point, which was well beyond their wildest expectations. 
Uh, Eastman ran some numbers and determined that after printing and publishing expenses, there would be about $4,000 left over for the two of them to split. He figured if they could do six issues a year, they could make a living writing and drawing Ninja Turtle comics. He said, uh, quote, in January 1985, I became an employed cartoonist drawing comic books for a living. And that was pretty fantastic. That is exciting. And that's that's the end of part one. That's oh, the comic book origins of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I, I think it's really cool to I like reading about stuff like this because, you know, they clearly were just two guys doing what they loved. But at the same time, they kind of had a dream small mentality. Yeah. You know what I mean? They weren't trying to do anything mainstream. They weren't trying to do mainstream superheroes. They weren't even trying to get work for major publishers, from what I can tell. They were just <laughs> doing what they loved, doing it themselves, yeah. finding a way to do it uh, with their you know own ingenuity and whatnot. They were just hanging out. And so he was they were he was like, dude, two thousand dollars a month. I, I can live on that. Right. <laughs> you know, 1985. Yeah. And that, that's that's uh, he was happy with that at the time. That's so, yeah, that's awesome. part one. This will probably be like a, a three part series. Oh, I thought it was going to be 13. We could probably do a fourth part about the philosophical ramifications of of like raising disaffected teenagers in a sewer environment. Right. And what effect that and has on your psyche. And only when you're also an outcast from society. And then we can do a fifth part on the dietary ramifications. (laughs) Flipping in a sewer and how they were able to watch TV down there. Like, did they run cable? How, you know, where did they get money for pizza? I can get it back. I can get it back. Like now, they had to, they had to go and do like street performing, right? Right. Uh, How else? They were like, we'll ninja for food. Well, no, (laughs) you know, like naked cowboy type stuff, you know, they go and. They pretend mm-hmm. they're in suits. That guy's and, a millionaire. And yeah, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That's that's a. That's, I mean, they they could get money for that because back back in back in the eighties anyway. Yeah, back in the back in the day, there there weren't very many Ninja Turtles around. Not only that, but those they're they would have looked fantastic. Since right, they were they actual like, turtles. Right, people have been like, look at these amazing street performer costumes. Wow, in, in New York. People have been like, "Ooh, take my picture with the turtle!" Right, the the full human-sized turtle. Yeah, I want my picture with that one. They'd be like, "Which one's your favorite?" And then Michelangelo would have been like, "Kawabonga," and they would have been like, "Oh, that one." He says kitschy shit. That that's not a good way to pick a ninja turtle. That's my favorite because that's the only one whose name I remember. Oh my god! So who are you? I am the person who is not doing murder this week. Yeah. I didn't tell her not to, by the way. Sean I, was like, don't do murder. No, I had no input on Sean her topic like, this week. Sean was like, nobody wants to hear about I never. Murder. That is the exact opposite of what I said last week. So anyway. I'm trying to retain your audience. I am doing murder, but only like kind of. Kind of. I'm kind of doing murder. I'm doing more of a like overall. There's murder involved. All right. I'm covering Russell Jones. Russell Jones. And that is... He was born on November 15th, 1968, in the Fort Greene section of Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn! He and his cousin, Robert Diggs and Gary Grice, shared a taste for rap music and martial arts. Well, martial arts-style movies, so not so much like martial arts. They weren't like, ah, yeah. Kung Fu movies. Yeah. Yeah. Jones, Diggs, and Grice, who were later known as Old Dirty Bastard, Rizza, and Jizza. Ah, I knew that Diggs name. I knew that name. 
from somewhere. I couldn't figure out what it was, though. Formed a group called Force of the Imperial Master, which subsequently became known as All In Together now. So, they eventually added six more members to their group, and they called it Wu-Tang Clan. Wu-Tang! The group released their debut album, Enter the Wu-Tang 36 Chambers, in 1993, and received notable commercial and critical success. I, however, am focusing on Old Dirty Bastard and his... Big Baby Jesus. Well, yes. The Old Dirty Chinese Restaurant. Yes. Also, I'm not going to go into all of his names. No. So, in case you are not familiar, dude was a little unhinged, and he also changed his name a lot. I am going to circle back, though, and go into the criminal element of Wu-Tang Clan. So we'll go back into that. That's where the crime comes in. Okay. Old Dirty Bastard's solo career began on March 28th, 1995. I, everything always comes back to this time of the Like, I always circle somehow back to the month that I'm in. <laughs> like, it's accidental. His first solo career, Return to the 36 Chambers, the Dirty Version, spawned, spawned hit singles, The Brooklyn Zoo and Shimmy Shimmy Ya, which helped propel him to platinum status. It was around that time that Old Dirty Bastard gained notoriety as he was being profiled for an MTV bi- biography, and he took two of his seven children by limousine to the New York State Welfare Office to cash a $375 welfare check and receive his food stamps. Oh, man, I remember this stuff. I remember these stories from, oh. from MTV. Tabitha Soren would tell me about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Or in Kurt Loder. Kurt Loder. And was like, I can be sardonic. <laughs> so his latest album was still on the top 10 charts at the time. Struggling artist. The recent incident <laughs> was being filmed by an MTV camera crew and it was broadcast nationwide. <laughs> Although he had received a recent $45,000 cash advance for his first solo album and was earning a cut of the profits from the Wu-Tang Clan's debut album, Old Dirty Bastard was still listed as eligible for welfare and food stamps due to the fact that he had not yet filed his taxes for the current year. Ooh. His caseworker revoked his eligibility after seeing the MTV segment, and the incident was viewed as an example of the welfare abuses that led to the significant reforms enacted in 1996. Look at ODB contributing. <laughs> as you can see. I don't think he intended to. ODB, as you can see. In February of 1998, Old Dirty Bastard witnessed a car accident from the window of his Brooklyn recording studio. He and a friend ran to the accident scene and organized about a dozen onlookers who assisted in lifting a 1996 Ford Mustang, rescuing a four-year-old girl from the wreckage. Oh, look at that. She was taken to the hospital with first and second degree burns and using a false name, ODB visited the girl in the hospital frequently until he was spotted by members of the media. The evening following the traffic accident, ODB rushed on stage unexpectedly as Sean Colvin took the stage to give her acceptance speech for Song of the Year at the 1998 Grammy Awards. And he announced that he had recently purchased expensive clothes in anticipation (laughs) of winning the Grammy Award for Best Rap Album that he had lost to Puff Daddy at the time. I I don't think that's the verbiage he used. No. <laughs> so. I have just purchased some very expensive clothing. As, I want you all to know this. As ODB took the stage with a round of applause, he said, quote, 
please calm down to the music and everything. It's nice that that I went and bought me an outfit today that costed a lot of money today. You know what I mean? Because I figured the Wu-Tang Clan was going to win. And I don't know how you all see it, but when it comes to the children, Wu-Tang is for the children. We teach the children. You know what I mean? Puffy is good, but Wu-Tang the best. Okay? I want you all to know that ODB is I love you all peace the incident was widely covered in main, mainstream media i'm guessing he was not under the influence of anything at the time right <laughs> he was probably clear-headed clear-headed just like when he died of an overdose <laughs> so i didn't know about that that's great in 1990 did not get the same coverage i'm guessing as, what year was that that was 98 98 what was their album i really only know their first album in 99 Old Dirty Bastard wrote and recorded his second studio album. I'm going to call this Ninja, please. Mm-hmm. That's good. And uh, that was in between his jail sentences, which I will discuss in a moment. <laughs> the album received notable... Hey man, this guy lived it, man. You know, you get, you get some rappers. Back, back then, you get gangster rappers just spouting shit. Right, you get like Post Malone. This, yeah. This dude is like... For real. He's like, like, he was rapping about it. Our rappers like, now go into the hospital because they have flaming hot Cheetos. Right. These guys were about it. This dude was like, no, no, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. So the album received notable commercial success, although it failed to parallel the critical praise of his debut. Which was the one that he used his. I, I don't know. He the, had an album. The welfare he used his as, welfare ID, his yeah. food stamp ID as the album cover. Well, I remember this that. release did have the Got Your Money single on it, though. OK, which is which I love. And this one did garner worldwide chart success and it had um, Khalees on it, too. So in 1999, and I included this for you, ODB was paid $30,000 to appear on the Insane Clown Posse's album, Ugh. The Amazing Jekyll Brothers. Jesus Christ. He completed his track in two days, and his recording consists of rambling about bitches. <laughs> ICP then re-recorded his tracks and re-edited ODB's vocals in order to form four rhyme phrases out of his ramblings, and they titled his his song, Bitches. <laughs> In 2001. That's bad when when ICP looks at something you've done and is like, this isn't very good. We're going right. to have to cut this down and edit it. Right. We're going to have to. He hmm. clearly didn't give a shit, which I think is great. Because right. if you are going to, you should take ICP's money and then leave them with a flaming hot turd. Right. That's a good idea. I support in, that. In 2001, he, he was once again jailed for crack cocaine. And his record label with Electra or his record label, rather, Electra Records, made the decision to release a Greatest Hits album, despite there being only two albums. Wow. In order to end both of their, their contract with the uh, artist. He must have had a three-album deal. Yeah. <laughs> and in order to profit from the publicity from his arrest. Wow, nice business. Yeah. So they, con they terminate that contract, and they release The Trials and Tribulations of Russell Jones. Okay. So that's the album. In 2003, the day he's released from prison, he signs a contract with Rockefeller Records. He's living in his mother's home. He's under house arrest and on court ordered probation. And he used his criminal record to title a VH1 special, Inside Out, Old Dirty Bastard on Parole. 
<laughs> and he managed to record a new album originally scheduled to release in 2014. And it was, it has since been shelved indefinitely like yeah. today. Yeah. You know, yeah. 15 years later. So in October of 2004, one month before his death, he recorded a song with John B, who I don't know. I kind of remember that name. And it was called Stronger Every Day, in case anybody cares. Oh, the song was called Every Time, and it was on Stronger and Every Day, sorry. In 2015, five months before his death. How could that possibly be? Oh, yeah, no, that, that's right. Sorry. Um, he appeared... In what year? No, I'm sorry. Five months after his death. I oh. apologize. Five months after his death, he, he was on the song Blah 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 with Brooke Valentine. So that's like the last thing he put out right after he died. But now he has stuff out like now. Like, like Tupac. Yeah. In in August of 2017, RZA confirmed that they do have unreleased vocals by ODB. And then on his, his birthday in 2018, so November 15th, 2018, intoxicated... Um, intoxicated from the unreleased album, A Sun Unique was released. So let's talk about his legal troubles. In 1993, ODB was convicted of second-degree assault for attempted robbery. In 1994, he was shot in the abdomen mm. following an argument with another rapper. In 97, he was arrested for failure to pay, pay child support for three of his seven children. <laughs> Jeez. In... 98, he pled guilty to attempted assault on his wife. Damn. And he was also a victim of a home evasion invasion at his girlfriend's house. He has a wife and a girlfriend. Um, that sounds right. He was shot in the back and the arm, but the wound w were superficial. Jesus. In July of 98, only two, only days, I'm sorry. It says only days after being shot at the robbery at his girlfriend's house in Brooklyn, he was arrested for shoplifting a $50 pair of shoes from Sneakers Stadium in Virginia Beach, even though he was carrying $500 cash at the time. <laughs> I love the fact, too, that they're $50 shoes. Like those those aren't desirable those, sneakers. Those aren't. Nobody wants $50. Like, I want $50 shoes. But, no, but I mean, like, the you, you think that you know, you think the, you'd go after some Jordans or something, you know, right? Like you're going to walk out with some shoes on. Well, it was 98. So $50 yeah. shoes are still pricey. No, they were. I remember 98. The, uh, the good so, shoes were anyway. over a hundred dollars for sure. So he was issued bench warrants by Virginia Beach Sheriff's Department to stand trial after he failed to appear in court numerous times. He was arrested for criminal threatening after a series of confrontations in L.A. a few <laughs> weeks later. And then rearrested for similar charges not long after that <laughs> during a traffic stop the details of which remain clouded by multiple versions of the events he was arrested for attempted murder and criminal weapon possession jesus the case was later dismissed on january 14th 1999 shortly before the killing of amado diallo which apparently was a big deal at the time Two officers from the street crimes unit fired eight shots at old Dirty Bastard and accused him of firing at them before they stopped his car. Jesus. Old Dirty Bastard was cleared by a grand jury and insisted the officers had been scared by his cellular phone, 
which is possible because it was right. 99. Yeah. And phones possible were nowadays. Big. Well, phones were big and they look, they did. Remember back then they were gun sized. Oh, yeah. No weapons or shell casings besides those of the officers were found in the vehicle. Nice. Or near the scene. In, in February of 99, he was arrested for driving without a license and for being a convicted felon and wearing a bulletproof vest. And at the time, it was illegal for felons to own body armor. I don't know why. That's the dumbest. Like, you should be able to wear Which a Which is also crazy because I didn't know this about him. He was apparently like 50 cent where he was always getting shot yeah. <laughs> or shot at. Yeah. A bulletproof vest doesn't seem unreasonable it, for no, all dirty bastards. No, it doesn't. Back in New York weeks later, he was arrested for drug possession of crack cocaine and for for traffic offenses. With multiple cases in the past and present, he was also arrested for marijuana and 20 vials of crack. In October of 2000, he arrested from his court mandated drug treatment facility. And wait, he was arrested while in a treatment facility? No, he was arrested and he he had marijuana and crack and then he was put into Oh, treatment. okay. I was like, wow, they so, showed up at his court-ordered drug treatment and were like, you're under arrest. <laughs> like, good God. <laughs> so in October, he escaped from his court-mandated, and he spent one month as a fugitive. During his time on the run, he met up with Riza, spent some time in the recording studio. He appeared on stage at the Hammerstein Ballroom <laughs> in New York. drinking. he from, understands on the lamb. Drinking from a bottle at the record release party and... He went to um, the record release party for the W, which was the third Wu-Tang Clown album. <laughs> in late November, while still a fugitive, he was he was finally arrested outside of Philadelphia, the South Philadelphia McDonald's after drawing a crowd while signing autographs. <laughs> he spent oh, man. several days in a Philadelphia jail before being extradited to New York City. And then he was sentenced to two to four years of incarceration. In 2012, his FBI file was finally released to the public because of the information or Freedom of Information Act. So there are only a few things that were interesting here that I wanted to, to reveal. And this has to do with Wu-Tang Clan more than Old Dirty Bastard. The sixth page of the report claims that the Wu-Tang Clan had purchased number numerous guns from a Steubenville, Ohio area. And the reason that I want to say that is because we were listening to Wu-Tang Clan today because they're coming in concert. Yeah. And they reference Ohio multiple times at oh, our yeah. friends in Ohio. Yep. That's who they're talking about, I'm guessing. <laughs> it states that members of the clan were photographed a- as present during the sales. And the kicker is that one of the guns, at least one of the guns in Steubenville, Ohio, purchased by Redacted, has been identified as the murder weapon and the killing of Robert Johnson, a.k.a. Pooh, on Staten Island, New York, on 12-30-97. The report then claims that Johnson was a one-time associate of the Klan who had a dispute with them, which resulted in his murder ordered by someone within the Wu-Tang Klan. Hmm. Also in the FBI files, claims are made that the Wu-Tang Klan allegedly laundered money through their record label in order to pay for their nefarious dealings, and the files indicate that once an individual had proven his or her loyalty to Wu-Tang clans, they were offered record contracts to record raps. Rap, <laughs> this is in quotes because it's directly from the FBI file. Yeah. Quote, offered record contracts to record rap type music. 
Rap type music. And, quote, numerous recording companies were incorporated along with bank accounts established. Um, according to files, this allows legitimate monies to flow through their accounts along with proceedings from Redacted. The file does, however, offer that Wu-Tang Clan runs a variety of legitimate types of business, including clothing lines. They The FBI kept files on the weirdest shit, though. Too, well, hold like, on. I, I, there's a weird one in here. This one is this one's just interesting. And then the next one's weird. And there's only two left. The the Wu's own internal army is large, as as we mentioned, because every time like once you prove yourself, you get a record. That's why they had all those weird people that would come and go. Yeah, because those were murderers, clearly. Hmm. Um, but the FBI's report also appears to allege a link between Wu-Tang Clan and the Bloods gang. Oh, that wasn't uncommon back then to have the statement reads, according rappers. to the detectives, yeah. the redacted are members of the blood gang and are involved with drug trafficking in the Park Hill section of Staten Island. Some of the woos have referenced the Park Hill and rhyme. It's just funny. <laughs> it's like it's just so uptight and weird. Yeah, it's referenced in rhyme. The report then continues. It's believed that the redacted sometimes carry out enforcement actions for the the Wu-Tang Clan, including beatings, shootings, and murder. Later on in the report, on page 17, it is suggested that the member of the FBI task force has put in a request to travel to Allentown, PA, to provide a comparison information between the Blood Street Gang and the Wu-Tang Clan. So here's the weird thing. One of the more curious inclusions in Old Dirty Bastard's file is a Newsday clipping... From December 28th, 1999, detailing the, the New York City nightclub shooting that resulted in Sean Puffy Combs and his then-girlfriend Jennifer Lopez being arrested. Hmm. Why this in incident is included in Old Dirty Bastard FBI file outlining his own criminal activities is a mystery. Nothing in the file indicates any correlation between the two stars and ODB or the Wu-Tang Clan. Hmm. So that's just weird. I was going to say that the FBI, they had files, I remember, on like suicidal tendencies back in the 80s. Yeah. Like, they would keep track of of seemingly weird things. I think they thought. They watched me briefly because of my boss. Yeah. And then they then they were like, oh, you're fucking boring. And then they right. left like, me You're alone. fine. Yeah. Um, turns out turns out they don't care about me. Yeah. I want to. Man, I, I'm not a big rap fan, but I. Probably's Carly's like, time's up, time's up, I have up, very up. distinct memories of listening to their first album for a couple months back in, like, 94 and uh, playing Street Fighter on my Super Nintendo while listening to Enter the 36 Chambers. Uh, I, I always I always liked that album. And, and now they're touring on that album, you know, like 25th anniversary thing. Yeah. I want to go, but tickets are just too goddamn expensive. They're well, I'm not trying. Well, once I was reading and doing the research on it, yeah. I'm not trying to fund anybody's murder with my ticket prices. Uh, I, I, I don't. I'm I don't know if I believe really, all that stuff. I'm not. I'm not sure if they're killing anybody nowadays. I, I don't even know if they were back then. I don't. Like I don't know. ODB got awfully it, shot up and did he a lot. Got of shot a lot. Yeah, but I don't remember anybody else like Method Man and, and Red Man and all them. I don't remember them ever. And I don't. I don't have a perfect memory by any means. It was always ODB in the news. He was, he was always. I remember that was, one time there was he got was dead. I, I could have sworn I might be making this up, but I swear he got arrested one time or or charged with something because he literally had four different food stamp accounts. Like he was collecting food stamps from on four different. I don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't <laughs> see that. I, that. That was a great. That was another Kurt Loader Tabitha Soren story. I'm pretty sure. 
I, I love following his exploits. I don't know, exploits, there so. were a lot of dead MTV links about him, so I'm yeah. guessing a lot of it was fake news that they had to take down later hmm. because there were a lot of dead... Well, it always seemed legit at the time. There were a lot of dead food stamp news about, like, that I would go to follow <laughs> on MTV, and they were, 404, page cannot be found. That's a lot of MTV stuff, though. I think they just... Uh, they just don't archive all that stuff forever. They just purge stuff? Yeah, because I've looked up just mundane stuff on there about, uh, I remember, I think I clicked a link looking at like Far Beyond Driven's album sales, like week one album sales, and it was gone. It's just weird. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I could find it in the web archive. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do want to go to that show. I just don't want to spend $80. It's not too unreasonable when you consider there's like 10 dudes in that in that group. Right. They don't even make that much per ticket when you think of it that way. <laughs> Maybe they're all living together. like Make like $8 like, a ticket. Well, uh, yeah, and you're forgetting all the overhead that goes into it. They're not even making $8 a ticket. Right. Like They're they're like, oh, okay, I guess. We'll make $4 a ticket. I do want to go. Uh, per person. I, I, do, I, I don't know if they're performing that whole album or not, but that would be really cool. Bring the ruckus. I don't know. ODB's dead, so he won't even be there. Yeah, there's so many of them. Like he, somebody will sing his parts. Nobody warbles like he did. <laughs> Nobody's like, ah, ODB, like, you can't see. Like, People go and see Queen without Freddie Mercury. I can go see Wu-Tang without ODB. That's insane to me. Who <laughs> is going to see Queen without Freddie Mercury? Yeah. Like, like I don't want to see I, Adam I would Lambert. If, I would if it was Maynard James Keenan from Tool. I would go see that because that cover that he did with Pussifer of Bohemian Rhapsody is amazing. So if, if he was doing vocals with Brian May on guitar, I'm in. I would go see that. I don't. That Adam, what's, what's that guy's name? Adam. Adam Lambert. I just a, Adam Lambert. He can sing, but well, that, he, but it's going to an Adam Lambert concert at that point. Yeah, and, but he doesn't sound or he doesn't sound like Freddie Mercury at all. He's got range and everything, but it doesn't even sound like him. You know, we still haven't seen the Bohemian Rhapsody movie. We should really do that. We should. I don't really want to be sad though. <laughs> so you <laughs> you don't want to see it? I don't know. I'm torn. All right, let's wrap this up because we got to record the yes next episode. And uh, yeah, you guys know that I'll, I'll be doing part two of Ninja Turtles next week. It should be a focus on the late 80s heyday of the Ninja Turtles. When they when, when I can get it back, I can get it back. When are we going to do that? When the rest of us actually heard of them, because I didn't I didn't hear about the Ninja Turtles till like 1987. So. I want to do I want to do the we'll, we'll be covering movie. movies. Uh, we covered a lot of stuff, and then there throw are, there pillows, a TV news reporter. <laughs> Great movie. That's what that's what I want to cover. Movie. All right. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Ah. Uh...